awesome when you think that Jesus rolled away his own stone, that he got up of his own power. And that's what we're here to celebrate this morning. And I like this auditorium. You say, why do you like this auditorium? Because I can't sit still. I can't stand still. And they gave me all kinds of room to move up here. So I'm excited, okay? So we, we, we may get going. I may jump some theater rows here. I don't know what's going to happen. I had a lot of coffee. I'm excited. How many of you yesterday, you were part of dropping 35,000 Easter eggs from a hot air balloon? You were there. Awesome. Did you, was that incredible or what? Now, here's the next question. How many of you almost got trampled to death by 500 kids? Yes, there we go. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those kids are vicious. I'm telling you what, we were trying to, you know, kind of keep them corralled. And I started to see their eyes turn red. I started to see these little horns creep up. And their voices went really deep and demonic. And I'm just kidding about that. But, I mean, it was the fact these kids, they want those eggs. They were going after them. It was awesome. But, praise the Lord, nobody's legs got broken, ripped off. Nobody went got upset, you know, we didn't have riots breaking out, parents fist fighting, you know, or anything like that, at least not to my knowledge, otherwise I would have filmed it and put it on Instagram, so, um, but we are glad that you are here, isn't that a terrible thing for a pastor to say, that he would just stand there and watch, sorry, it'd be cool, you know, I'm sorry, I apologize, but um, it's just us here this morning, we are so glad that you are here, it's going to be a great day, I need, here's what I need us to do, we're going to go into this message, and I'm excited about this message, I've been praying over it all week and just asking God to just give me the right words to say for this Easter message. And uh, so I'm looking forward to what God has for each and every one of us. But I've entitled this message, It's Not What You Think. It's Not What You Think. Or better yet, I think the correct one is, It's Not What It Looks Like. Now before I ask somebody to raise hands and say, Have any of you ever been in a situation where you had to say, This isn't what it looks like. Because we don't want to go around the room and tell those stories about somebody saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I was in a situation where it didn't quite go right, didn't quite look right. But we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter number 7 in just a moment. And I want to have that thought, that premise in mind. It's not what it looks like. Every once in a while in my house, I have two children right now, Megan, who's four, and then I've got Austin, who's two. And every once in a while, I will hear screaming and yelling and fighting from the kid's bedroom. And I'll go back in there to kind of see what's going on. And there, Megan is spanking her brother. And I'll come in and I'm thinking, Megan, why are you spanking Austin? And she'll look at me and say, oh, he likes it. We're playing house. This is a lot of fun. As if to say, hey, Dad, this isn't what it looks like. You see, it's okay to treat Austin's head like a basketball and bounce it against the floor as long as we're pretending that his head is a basketball and not a real head with a brain and and all that kind of stuff. It's okay because it's not what it looks like. But this morning, we're going to see in this passage an exciting truth, and I hope it encourages you that you can look at your situation and be able to step back and say "It's, it's not what it looks like this morning, all right? Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Luke chapter number 7. Luke chapter number 7. If you don't, we're going to put a giant Bible up on the screen if it works. Fingers crossed today, folks. Um, You know, if you paid extra, it works. If you didn't pay, it doesn't work. So that's just kind of how we roll around here. We just kind of make it work. So Luke chapter number 7 is where we're going to be. We're going to be in a kind of familiar passage of Scripture. But what I want to do this morning is give you a little of the backstory because it's no fun jumping into the middle of a conversation. Especially when you're the one and you're starting off this long story and say it's, you're just deep into it. And then somebody walks in on the conversation and now they want you to restart the conversation. You're just like, are you kidding me? You, no, 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 just pick up midstream. Or, or maybe you're watching a movie and somebody sits down next to you and they're like, 
fill me in on what's going on. You know, I'm kind of lost here. I'm right in the middle. What's going on? Who's this person? What's this character? And you're like, oh, this is just aggravating. You're messing up the story here. So before I dive into a passage of scripture that just may seem a little bit off, let me give you a little of the backstory, okay? We're going to talk about a character. His name is John the Baptist, okay? Now, we did not name Southridge Baptist Church after this guy. That's just something that we did. His last name or his part of his name was John the Baptist, and that's because he baptized. It's more of just kind of what he did, so they kind of nicknamed him that. And so here we meet this character, John the Baptist, in this passage. But John the Baptist is really kind of a famous guy in Scripture, okay, especially in the Gospels. He comes on the scene. He is the cousin of Jesus, and he is what they would call a forerunner because back then they would have, when a king would come into a city, they would send a herald, and the herald would announce that the king is coming. Well, John the Baptist is the herald for the king of kings, being Jesus. And so John the Baptist, his job was, in in matter of fact, he would even preach this, I am not the voice. I am not the light. I am to point to that light. I am to uh, make way for that king to come. And so John the Baptist, that was his ministry. Well, guess what? John the Baptist was not a really um, uh, uh, a nice fellow. He wasn't kind of like your Joel Osteen kind of, you know, pep you up, get you excited. He, he wasn't like that. Matter of fact, he would look at you and he would say, you're a serpent. And you're just supposed to take that. Like, Wow, who goes around just calling people their serpent? And he would just kind of do this stuff, and he would say, man, God's going to judge you with fire. This guy was just, I wouldn't want to go to his church. Let's just put it that way. But you know what's amazing? People by the thousands would follow John the Baptist. They would come out because John the Baptist didn't go to a major metropolitan city like San Jose. He went out into the wilderness. And people would leave Jerusalem and Capernaum and these cities surrounding. And they would go out to see John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist had gotten quite a following. People started to follow this guy. And John the Baptist started to have disciples. Disciples means people that he was teaching and he was mentoring. Kind of like Yoda had Luke Skywalker, you know, kind of mentoring relationship. Okay, you didn't get that analogy. That's fine. We're moving on. Back out of that illustration. Didn't work. That failed. It's okay. Uh, We'll rebound. And so here's John the Baptist, and he's got these disciples. Now, in John chapter number, uh, Luke chapter number 11, we're going to pick up a passage of Scripture right kind of in the middle. Now, here's what's happened. John the Baptist spoke against the king, and the king didn't like it, so the king put him in prison. As Jesus' ministry then took off, John the Baptist's ministry began to decline, and John the Baptist is in prison as his cousin's ministry, Jesus, is taken off. And these are the words that John the Baptist is sending through messengers to Jesus. And we're going to kind of pick up right in the middle of this passage. So if you have your Bibles, it's great. If not, it'll be right up on the screen. And can we do this, kind of get stretched? Can you stand up? Is that all right? If we all stand, we're going to read this scripture. I promise it won't be long. If you can't stand, if you're not able, that's fine. You could just sit there. That's fine. But we're going to read a couple verses. Beginning in verse number 17, the Bible says this. And this rumor of him, that's being Jesus, went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region and round about. And the disciples of John, John the Baptist, showed him all these things. This is the disciples of John came back and said, hey, Jesus is getting popular. Jesus is getting famous. And, the, and then verse number 19. And John calling unto him, two of his disciples sent them to Jesus saying, are you he that should come or look we for another? That's a powerful question. He's basically saying, are you really the Messiah or should we start looking for somebody else? That's a powerful question because his whole ministry was to be the forerunner 
of Jesus. His whole ministry, the point of John's existence was to tell everybody that that's Jesus, he's the Messiah, and now the guy whose main job, the reason he came to this earth, is beginning to doubt. And let me let you in on a little secret. I appreciate that because I'm a pastor, and even sometimes I begin to doubt. Anybody, any real people in here, you say, yeah, sometimes I've had my doubts. Oh, yeah, 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 okay, excellent. There's like a third of you, the rest of you, you'll catch up, liars, and uh, so we'll, we'll get there. But here's the point is that we have those moments when we're thinking, I don't know if he really is the one. And that's where John the Baptist is at. Here's the guy that he told everybody by the thousands, that's Jesus Christ the Messiah. That's the Lamb of God. That's the person. He said, I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandals. That's the person. Let's continue reading here. Let's go on. Verse number 21. And in that same hour, so those disciples went to Jesus in verse number 20. When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Verse 21. And in that same hour, this is Jesus, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Verse 22. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way. And tell John this. He's going to give John a message. And you and I want Jesus to say, John, it's going to be okay. I'm going to bust you out. We got a prison break planned. Bonnie and Clyde got nothing on us. I'm Jesus. I'm going to bust out of a tomb. I can bust you out of jail. That's what we want Jesus to say. That's what John wants Jesus to say. John wants Jesus to tell him it's going to be okay. The bills are going to be paid. The mortgage is going to be okay. The kids are going to be healthy. They're going to go to college. They're not going to turn out wild. You're going to stay married. That's what we want Jesus to say. And that's what some of you want Jesus to say to you right now. But notice what Jesus says to John. And understand, John was his cousin. John was somebody that was the forerunner of him, the one that prepared the way, the one that Jesus did love. Matter of fact, Jesus is going to say about John, we don't have time to get into it, he's going to say that there is none that is born of women greater than John. He's going to say that in the same passage. But notice what he tells John in verse number 22. He says, tell John this. Tell him what you have seen. Tell him what you have heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. To the poor, the gospel, the good news is preached. That's the message he told them. One more time. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to find five people, and you need to give them a high five, and you need to tell them it's not what it looks like. Find five people, high five, and say it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like this morning. It's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. Give somebody a high five and say it's not what it looks like. I promise you, it's not what it looks like. Give them a high five, say it's not what it's looked like. And once you've done that, you can find your seat, and you can sit down, and you can rest. I had you standing for a long time. We're so glad that you are here. It's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. You know, sometimes in life you're going to go through things. And at first glance, you're going to get a reaction to it. You're going to get a read on it. 
And what I want to do through this message, and I know necessarily you're thinking, I'm looking for a resurrection message. I'm looking for an empty tomb. I'm looking for Jesus to bust out of it. That's what I'm expecting. There is going to be a resurrection in this passage. We will get to it. It's not going to be Jesus. It's going to be the first resurrection miracle that Jesus ever performed. There's three recorded in Scripture, okay? There is the one where he's going to resurrect, the one we're going to see in this passage. The other one is Jairus' daughter. Then the third one is his friend Lazarus. And then the fourth would be himself, okay? But the three that he raised up recorded in Scripture. We're going to look at the first one this morning because I want you to understand as you apply your life this morning, because we're talking about real life here. I didn't just want you to come here so we could just pontificate about some truth that doesn't apply. You've got real things going on. You've got real issues. You've got real problems, real headaches, real things that you're suffering and going through. And we need a scripture to meet those needs. And the Bible, I hope, will be a help. Matter of fact, I know it'll be a help to us this morning. But we need to ask the Lord's help. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this message. Thank you for the people that are gathered here. I pray right now that you prepare hearts. Lord, I know the sound system hasn't been working. I know the video projection hasn't been working like we wanted it to. But, Lord, all that doesn't matter if you will speak to us. If we can hear from God this morning, Lord, there are people that they've been waiting all week to hear from you. They need to hear from you. They're desperate to hear from you. And, Lord, I'm just a person with a microphone. But I pray this morning that, that you would use this microphone to be so much more today to them. I pray that the scripture would speak life. I pray, and pray that it would, it would speak truth, and I pray that you would bless. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Ever find yourself in the middle of a mess? Ever find yourself just in life, and you're just thinking, I'm looking around at my life, and yes, I'm not saying that your car is a mess, though. For some of you, it might be. I'm not saying, hey, your house is a mess, though. For some of you, it may or may not be. I'm not saying that, hey, that, that, that there's things about you. You're unkept. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, have you ever come across a situation where you're saying, I don't know what's going on with the job. I don't know what's going on with my teenage daughter. I don't know what's going on with my teenage son. I don't know what's going on with my two-year-old. I don't know what's going on in my relationships. I don't know what's going on with school, these professors, these teachers. I, I, I just don't know. Life just kind of seems like a mess right now. And recently, that's kind of been the story of my life. And I know sometimes we want to think that, oh, he's a pastor, and, and, and everything's perfect, and, and his life is so easy, and it's just so, so, so perfect and nice. And sometimes I think people have this idea that, that when I wake up in the morning, it's like God sent Gabriel with his, Gabriel with his wings, and the wings just kind of tickle my cheeks a little bit to wake me up. That's, that's, not, that's not how I wake up, okay? I wake up like you. I'm slapping the alarm clock or one of my kids, whichever one is bothering me at the moment, okay? So it's one of those where, no, 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 it's not like angelic and beautiful no 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 a life sometimes is a mess but you know what i've realized and you'll see this up on the screen i want you to write it down sometimes you'll find yourself in the middle of a mess before you can find yourself in the middle of a miracle because oftentimes we say i need a miracle right now I'm in a position where I need something to happen. I need something to change in the life of my boss. I need something to change in the life of my relationship. I need something to change. And oftentimes, we're looking at a situation where we're saying, it's bleak, it's bad, it's desperate, it's discouraging, it's depressing. And all of a sudden, that's when God says, guess what, my child? Miracles come disguised as problems. You see, we always want the miracle, but we don't want to be in a situation that necessitates one. And you're going to see in this passage, there are several characters who they were desperate. And I want you to write this down. First of all, there's meaning in the mess. 
There's meaning in the mess. You're saying, why am I going through all this? There's the big, big question mark right there. Why did this happen to me? Why did I get that doctor's report? Why did that person talk to me? Why did that situation happen? And you're asking yourself the big why question. And I want you to understand that there's meaning in the mess this morning. Because in this same passage, in Luke chapter number 7, beginning in verse number 1, we see that there is, in the city of Capernaum, 20 miles north of the city of Nain, which we're going to look at in just a moment, there is a Roman governor, a Roman centurion. He's in charge, but he's got a servant. And this servant is sick. And the Bible says he's sick unto death. He's very sick. But this Roman centurion hears that Jesus is in Capernaum. And he sends word by servants to go to Jesus and say, hey, go tell Jesus that my servant is sick and I need him to heal him because my servant may die. But this centurion, because he's a Roman, he wasn't sure how the Jews felt about the Romans, especially maybe Jesus, how he feel about him. So what this centurion did, what he did was he went to the, the leaders in this community. And here's what he told them. He said, hey, look. I'm a Roman, but I've got a servant that really needs something. And I don't know if Jesus will come because of who I am. I don't know if he'll come. And that's a lesson because some of you don't think God will listen to you. You you don't think he'll come into your situation because of who you are. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter who you are this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done this morning. That's not what's stopping Jesus. And so the Roman uh, centurion goes to the leaders and he tells the leaders, he's saying, I'm a Roman. He's a Jew. I don't know if he's going to come. So the leaders go to Jesus and they say, he's an honorable man and he loves the Jews. And Jesus at that moment doesn't go to the centurion's house. Do you know what he does? At that moment, he speaks the word. He's not in the same vicinity. He's not even near. And at that moment, the Bible says the servant was healed at the very hour, the Bible says. It's an incredible passage of scripture. And you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How does that apply to me? Because oftentimes you find yourself and you're second guessing God. And you're saying, I I just don't know what's going on. I I just feel like maybe I've been cheated. I want to ask you this question. Whoever gave you naming rights over your situation? I mean, think about it for a second. Who gave you naming rights over your situation? I know you named your children. I know you named your pets. I know some of you named your vehicles. But who gave you naming rights over your situation? Like you'll get up and you're going to your barista and and the barista says, how's your day going? Not good at all. You're one out of seven billion, but you get to decide if it's a good or bad day. You do? You get naming rights over the entire day. So, So April 5th sucks and it's your decision if it sucks. Like, you got naming rights. God gave you that authority. Really. But some of us, that's how we live. That's how we live. Like, we have naming rights. Like, we get to decide what it will be. And I'm here to tell you that it's not what it looks like. Because you're looking at this situation, you're saying it's bad. And I'm saying, no, it's not what it looks like. This isn't what it looks like. You see, you see in this passage, here is a centurion. He's got a favorite servant, and the servant is sick. And Jesus is saying, hey, you need a miracle in this messy situation. I'm going to provide because you don't understand that oftentimes your adversity is your advantage. That God is going to take and use that difficult situation to do a miracle. 
And here's a servant. He was in desperate need of a miracle. It was desperate. Not only do we see that there's one in need of a desperate miracle. In verse number 11. I like it. Chapter 7, verse number 11. All right, never mind. We'll just move on. You're still asleep. You wake up. It's okay. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out. The only son of his mother. And this story just gets worse, okay? The mother loses a child. And anybody who's ever lost a child, you can, you can attest that there's probably no greater pain. No greater pain. But here's how this passage gets worse. They carry this child, the only child of this mother out. And she's a widow. This situation previous was a desperate one. This one's downright depressing. And Jesus isn't on the scene. Jesus is on the road to the city of Nain. And Jesus is coming. Here is the bringer of life is meeting the procession of death. And there's going to be a showdown. And we can cheat and we can skip ahead and guess what? It turns out great. It's awesome. Because the bringer of life always conquers death. Jesus conquered death for us. That's what we're going to celebrate today. And so Jesus comes and he meets this situation. And it's depressing. And you may be sitting here saying, my situation is desperate. My situation is depressing. But this woman, she didn't know that as she's leading her son out for the last time. Because they didn't have closed coffins coffins he was on what they called was a funeral beer and this was for poor people here was a woman who's poor she has no husband that's who she would rely on for a source of income and then if her husband passed away she would rely on her children now she doesn't have her husband and she doesn't have her child and now she's basically going to be left to beg in the streets that's what her life is going to exist on but at that moment As she's walking down this road, mournful, depressed, discouraged, on the very same road meeting her is Jesus. And for some of you, you're walking down this road and you're thinking there's nobody on this road. And I'm here to say Jesus is on the same road. He's here to meet you. For the last several weeks, we've been preaching about a collision, how Jesus wants to have these collisions with us, how he wants to have these running moments. And for some of you, you're not here by accident. You are not here by just happenstance. You weren't just going through because you thought, oh, I'll just go watch a movie. I'm telling you, God brought you here. I don't care if it was an Easter egg that God used. I don't care if it was a friend that God used. I don't care if somebody pulled you by the ear. I don't care if somebody dragged you here, bribed you here. I don't care. God got you here. And there's a reason he wants you here because he's got a message for you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to tell you that your situation seems dead. It seems desperate. But he's going to speak life into your situation this morning. He wants to speak truth into your situation. And we can get excited about that this morning. God's got some great things. But you and I, we keep seeing our situation. We keep thinking that we have the power to name our situation. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 that he hath made everything beautiful. Everything beautiful. Pain, sickness, death, Whatever, God says, I'll make it beautiful. Because he's God. He can redeem your circumstance. He can flip the script. You said, my life is not all I want it to be. Well, nobody's life is. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care what kind of house you live in. Everybody's got difficulties. Everybody's got trials. Everybody's got struggles. Nobody's immune to life. Life happens. And we all face life. And here's this woman. And Jesus meets this woman, and I love it. 
Notice what it says. The Bible says in verse number 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Of course he did. And he has compassion on you in your situation this morning. And he said unto her, weep not. Now that would be a messed up thing to say to a mama who's just lost her son. Unless that person had the power to change her condition. And Jesus has the power to change your condition this morning. So you don't have to be discouraged. In the very next verse, the Bible says, and he came and he touched the beer. And that's interesting because the Jews, they had all these cultural things going on. And it goes back to the book of Leviticus. There was laws and they weren't allowed to touch anything dead. And here Jesus is going to touch this funeral beer, which that would make him ceremonially unclean. But yet Jesus doesn't care. He's willing to risk the relationship to save someone's life. Jesus doesn't care how messy your situation is. He will step right into it. He's not deterred. He's not discouraged. Your mess, your junk doesn't scare Jesus at all. He'll step right into it. He doesn't care about the culture. He doesn't even care about those religious practices. Because if it was a religious practice, it, you don't touch the funeral beer. That's just what we do. Bless God. Amen. Sorry, I went a little bit old school. Pardon me. But I want you to understand that sometimes we get wrapped up in our religious confinement. We say, this is how it must be done. And Jesus says, I'm God. I write the rules. And I'm going to change them right here and right now. And Jesus will rewrite the rules just to reach you. Isn't that amazing? That he will go against what culture says. Against what things say. Just to get you. That's how much he loves you. Because he has compassion. And he loves you this morning. But then we come to this part where... After this miracle, he raises somebody from the dead. And notice verse number 15. The Bible says, and he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered them to his mother. And there came fear on all the people. Basically, they were in awe. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us. And that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region roundabout. Now his fame spreads. And this is where John the Baptist comes in. And he starts hearing about how famous Jesus is. And so we've seen a situation that's desperate, depressing. Now we see a situation where there's disappointment. Jesus, you're doing all these miracles. What about little old me? You're just going to leave me here? And some of you feel like that. All your friends are getting married, but not you. All your friends are having babies, but not you. All your friends can get a job, but not you. All your friends seem that life seems to be going well for them, but not you. And all of a sudden, you're feeling a little bit miffed, a little bit peeved, a little bit ticked off. You're feeling disappointed. And here's the thing about disappointment. It's actually powerful. And for some of you, that's your biggest hang-up this morning. It's not that you're angry. It's not that you're mad. It's not that you're upset. It's that you are disappointed. And sometimes we think, well, I'll just get over it. But that, that's not that easy when you've been hurt. It's not that easy just to get over disappointment. So how do we deal with dormant disappointment? Because it, disappointment acts like this. You ever been cutting rose bushes and you pricked your thumb? Anybody in here? Like two, okay, a couple people have rose bushes. And you pull your thumb back and you got that thumb prick. The next time you grab to try to trim those roses, do you just grab it? Or you're kind of like gloves, Another layer of gloves, and then you're like two fingers, not the whole hand. They've two got to go. These guys are going to take it for the team, you know. You're like softly, carefully. You're not just grabbing for it. Matter of fact, you're a little bit shy to grab for it. And for some of you, you've been disappointed by life. You've been disappointed by God. You've been disappointed by church. And so for that reason, you have a hard time dealing with any of those. 
You're not a mean person. You're not a bad person, but you've been disappointed one too many times. So all of a sudden, somebody says, come to church with me. And it's like, uh, I, I, I would. But, but you don't know what's in here. You don't know how many times that I trusted and I reached for it and I grabbed for it, but I felt pain and I jerked back. And then I went for it again and I tried it again, but it didn't work. I tried God again and it didn't work. I tried church again. It didn't work. I tried life again. And you're so disappointed. It's almost programmed in you now. It's just there. Just that vicious cycle. And you're saying, I'd love to deal with that. And then you read a verse of scripture like Psalms 37 that says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. And you're saying, all right, if God is directing my steps, then why didn't God direct me around the problems? Come on, let's get real. Why didn't God tell me to take a different street so I didn't get in a head-on collision? And now I've got these handicaps and now I've got that situation. Well, God, why don't you direct me around that marriage so I didn't have that divorce? God, why don't you direct my child away from that situation so they're not six feet under right now? God, why don't you direct my child to a better school? God, why don't you put me in a better neighborhood? Give me a better family. Why did you give me that uncle that abused me? God, why did you put me in that situation where they hurt me? God, why did you put me in that job that let me down and failed me? And now I can't make it. God, why did you do that? I thought you were leading my step. God says, I am. I did leave your steps. And I did lead you through that valley. And I did lead you through that pain. Because God says, I don't give you pointless pain. Because there's no teacher like pain. We don't grow without it. I don't care what area of life you're in, there's pain. You're going to work out, you're going to get physically strong, there's pain. You're going to stretch your mind. You're going to go to school. There's pain. You're going to get a job. You're going to climb the corporate ladder. There's pain. You're going to raise kids. You're going to have kids. There's pain. Throughout life, there is pain. But it's understanding that the pain is not pointless. It's understanding that God can take our pain and he can redeem it. I often tell people, I may not know his purpose, but I can trust his plan. I can't trust it. I may, know not, I, I may not know. But I can still trust him. And that's when trust becomes real, isn't it? It's easy to trust God when everything's honky-dory, when it's just like, I got this laid out in front of me. I've got this. It's the point where you're having to step out in faith. That's when it's time to really step out. That's when it gets a little bit more difficult. My wife and I, we were playing this game. You say, what game was it? Um, and, and I need a couple of volunteers. Is there anybody, volunteers that I can get? Anybody that just wants to, wants to help me with, Josh, yeah, that'd be great. I need one other volunteer, just one other person. Anna, yeah, Anna's great. Now, normally I'm afraid when somebody says they're real quick to volunteer, but this is okay. We're going to have some great volunteers. So here's what we're going to do, all right? Now, how many of you have ever seen these jelly bellies that are called Bean Boozled? How many of you say, I have no clue what that is? Raise your hand. You have no, Awesome. And you don't know either? Yes, this is going to go better than I thought, folks. This is going to be incredible. This is what you paid to see right here. Get out the camera phones. This is going to be epic. All right? So here's what we're going to do. All right? So you've had jelly bellies? Jelly beans? Okay. They taste great, don't they? They're nice? You've had jelly beans? Oh, yeah. Okay, they're great. They're awesome. Well, so here's what we're going to do. We're all going to take one the same color. But be warned. It could be tutti-frutti. Or it could be stinky socks. It could be buttered popcorn. Or it could be rotten eggs. 
It could be chocolate pudding or it could be canned dog food. It could be caramel corn, could be moldy cheese, could be licorice, could be skunk spray, could be coconut, could be baby wipes, could be juicy pear, could be booger, could be peach, could be barf. So here's what we're going to do. We're all going to find the same color and we're all going to take one. All right? You guys ready for this? Okay, here we go. Here we go. This is what you guys signed up. I'm going to pour them out here. Don't worry. This is all sanitized. We're all going to get the same color, okay? We're going to find three of the same color, okay? So we all got to find the same color. So here we go. All right. Now, what we're going to do, let me pour out a couple more here because we've got to have three. We're all doing this together. It's a team effort, okay? All right? Here we go. So we're going to go with these white ones, okay? We're going to go with these. Hold on. Hold on. And we, we don't know. We're going to find out. This is, this is where the fun is, okay? So there we go. All right. Now, okay? So we're all going to take one of the white ones, okay? Ladies first, okay? Don't put it in your mouth yet. Just wait. Okay, Mike, Josh. Okay, and now, here we go. All right, on three. Ready? Here we go. Cheers, on. Come on. We're, we're, this is for your entertainment. Come on. Here we go. All right, ready? Here we go. One, two, three. What'd you get? Oh, oh. Baby wipes. Oh. That was gross. What'd you get? I think we all got baby wipes. We all got bean boozled. Give them a round of applause. Oh, and that's for you. There you have, so you can play later. There you go. I'll get one for you afterward. That's disgusting. Whoever made up such a sick game. My goodness. Some messed up people in this world. I'm telling you what, you got to watch out. Man. Mm. You know what's funny, though? Many of you think God just bamboozled you. Like, God... This girl was so great, and then I married her. What happened? God, this job was awesome until I moved out my whole family. What happened? God, man, these kids started out so good. They were so cute. What happened? They grew up. They're teenagers. Mood swings all over the place. Lord, help me. And you start looking at God and saying, You tricked me. You got me. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. And many of you are playing that game with God. I see it all the time. They, they get they tricked one time. They're like, okay, God, we'll see if that ever happens again. We'll see if I'll ever go to church again. You, you, you want to do me like that? Okay, God, let's, let's go. And we have people that think they're honestly going to win. Their whole life is just run, run, and work harder, and work harder, and they think they can escape it. Instead of them understanding that God says, hey, it's not what it looks like. So first of all, we see that there's meaning in the mess. Notice secondly, not only is there meaning in the mess, there's a miracle in the mess. In the midst of your trial and trouble, God's saying, hey, I've got a miracle waiting. It's wrapped around some problems. It's wrapped around some difficulties, but I've got something for you. I've got something exciting. But I want you to see that in this first passage, we see that Jesus Christ steps into this situation. And this is a desperate situation. And Jesus Christ, he changes it. Jesus Christ is a game changer. The next situation, the woman with the widow, Jesus Christ stepped into that situation. He's not only a game changer, he's a grave robber. In the next passage, we got one final story. We're going to see he's a grace giver. Jesus Christ steps in and he says, hey, not only am I going to give you meaning to that mess, I'm going to provide a miracle there as well. You're going to step back. You're going to see God do some incredible things. Right now, I've been tweeting, I've been Facebooking. 
Facebook and I've been doing everything I can to tell our church we are in the middle of a miracle. God is doing something in our church. There's something spectacular happening. We're a brand new church. Some of you don't know that. Some of you think we've been going on for years, but no, no, we're brand new. But God has been raising up a church. We just started this not too long ago, and it was just kind of a dream my wife and I, God had given us, and we just decided, hey, we're going to start a church. And God has led us to this point, and God has continued to provide. But it's the moment where we're willing to say, God, in the middle of my mess, I need a miracle. And God says, don't worry, it's coming. You're on that same road. God says, I'm going to meet you right there. I'm going to meet you in that mess. As long as you don't give up, as long as you don't walk away. And I'm so encouraged by the Apostle Paul. You see, the Apostle Paul, just like John the Baptist, is also one of the great Christians of the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul, he went through so much. He went through so much. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a couple days in the open ocean floating on driftwood. He had been beaten to an inch of his life by Romans where they took a whip and beat him 40 times. He had been stoned almost to death and uh, so many other things where he's been just gone through so much. He has so many scars where if he were to take off his shirt, you would just see scars. Many people want to talk about the blessings of the Christian life. He will show you the badge of the Christian life. And the badge was his scars. That he went through. But notice after all that pain. After all that difficulty. Notice what Jesus says. Or the Apostle Paul. He says. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Nor of me his prisoner. But be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. According to the power of God. Who hath saved us. And has called us with an holy calling. Not according to our works. But according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But it's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. He just says, I've gone through hell, folks. And he says, I'm not ashamed. doesn't faze me. doesn't stop me. won't stop me. Touch your neighbor and say, don't let it stop you. Don't let anything stop you. Don't let anything stop you. Don't be stopped. Don't be ashamed. He says, I've gone through all this and I'm not stopped. He says, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. That's the power. Catch this, friend. It's not what you believe. Because a lot of you have a lot of beliefs. It's not what you believe this morning. It's who you believe in. The Apostle Paul didn't rest in his good works, who he was. He didn't rest in the fact that he's some great Christian, that he's some person that says, I've been persecuted, I've been distraught, I've been discouraged, I've been downcast, I've been, I've been marginalized. That's not what he wrote on. That's not where he said, that's what makes me great. What he said makes me great. It's not what he believed, it's who he believed. And this morning, what's going to get you through is not what you believe, it's who you believe in. And this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ, that's where you need to start. It's not by creeds, it's not by deeds, it's not by some quota, it's not by some man-made laws, it's not by good works, it's by Jesus Christ in him alone. Nothing else can save you. It's Jesus. He said, I'm the only way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. It is Jesus, and he's the one that's saying, 
saying, hey, you don't have to believe anything else. Just believe in me and I'll take you home and I'll take care of you. I'm the one that killed death. I destroyed it. I took its sting for us. I test, tasted death so you don't have to taste it. God took that for us. The Apostle Paul, he wrote these words for us, folks. He wrote it for us because he knew we were going to suffer. He knew we were going to go through pain. He knew there were going to be some dark moments. And he says, I'm writing it to that Southridge Baptist Church. I'm writing it to those people that are going to meet on April 4th, 2015. I'm writing it for them at 11 o'clock. I know that they're going to need this. Even though thousands of years ago, he was just thinking, I'm just writing some words to encourage some brothers. The Apostle Paul is about to have his head cut off in a prison, in a Roman prison where he's been for two years. And he writes this. He says, I'm not ashamed because I know that God will take care of me. I know that he will meet me. And he says this. He says, hold fast to those sound words. He says, hold fast to it. Don't let it go. That analogy is like a sailor who's in the middle of a storm back in the day where they would have these ships and that sailor on the deck, they would have to hold so the, so the, the sails didn't fly away. They would hold on to ropes, but so they didn't fly over and were lost in the storm because nobody would see them. They would hold on to ropes for their dear life. And Jesus is saying, just like that sailor holds on to that ship for dear life, you need to hang on to Jesus for dear life. That's what he's saying to you this morning. He's saying, hold fast to him. Don't let go of him. It's all about him. It's nothing else. Let everything else go, but don't let Jesus go. Let everything else uh, happen, but Jesus will take care of it. But then lastly, you've got to see this. We've got to go. I don't, I don't have enough time. Notice the same passage, verse number 37. Same passage. Jesus is now, he's getting famous, and he comes into a town, and a man by the name of Simon, Simon invites him into his house, and Simon brings him in, and a woman shows up that hears that Jesus is in the house, and once she comes, she's so moved by Jesus, here's what she does in verse number 37, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, that's a very tame way of saying, this is the city prostitute, okay? When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping. Sometimes you have an experience that you just can't explain. And that's her. She can't say anything. She's moved in her heart. She knows who she is and she knows who he is. She's moved. And she takes that box and stood at her feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, here's the stuck up. Here's the fold themselves. Here's the better than you. Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it. He spake within himself. He was thinking in his mind, does this man, what kind of prophet, will let a woman like that, a woman like that, touch him? What kind of man is he? But this is Jesus. And he knows what this man was thinking. I love what Jesus says. He says this in verse number 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. And Jesus is so good with words. Jesus is a genius. I'm telling you what. Here's what he does. He's not going to call him to the carpet. But here's what Jesus does in this verse. He says, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence. The other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon, the Pharisee, the full of himself, answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto them, Thou hast rightly judged. And then he turned to this woman. This woman who's had a hard life. This woman who's had to make some bad decisions. Desperate decisions. And he turns to her. Instead of dragging her through the mud, instead of dragging her through her mess, 
Notice how Jesus speaks to her. And he sees her. And then he looks at her in verse number 47. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many. He didn't excuse her sins. But he says they are forgiven. They are forgiven. For she loved him much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sin also? And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. There is mercy in the mess. This morning, some of you, that's exactly what you need. You need mercy. You see, that's why Jesus went to a cross. So you and I could have mercy. He didn't just take the sting of death. The Bible says the wrath of God was poured out on his own son on a cross. You see, God treated us like, he want, like his son. And he treated his son like he should have treated us. He reversed it. So that we could have the glory of heaven. So that we could have a brand new life. But then he poured out his wrath, his malice, and his anger on his own son. And he let his son hang there and die. To take the punishment for sins that you and I rightly deserve. Why? Because there's mercy in the mess. There's mercy. And some of us are sitting here and our sins may be many, our sins may be few. But there's still mercy for you. There's mercy this morning. Where you come to Jesus and you say, Lord, I know that I have not been what I should. Lord, I know my life is not what it should be. But Lord, this morning, I need mercy. I need mercy in the midst of my mess. And even at this moment, this situation is scandalous, folks. As everybody looked at it, they said, what is Jesus doing with that woman? It's a scandalous situation. But Jesus says, I love this woman. I love her. Jesus loves you. And he's saying, I don't care about the scandal. He was willing to risk his reputation. It was a scandalous love. It was a significant love. And lastly, it was a sufficient love. I'm going to close with this. I was watching an old 1950s Walt Disney cartoon movie. Some of you remember it. Some of you that are older than 15. Jungle Book. And I was watching, I was sitting with Austin, and he likes to watch Jungle Book. He really just likes to watch King Louie, and then he'll go and get a banana, and he'll just sit in front, like, waving his banana or something. And he's like, I'm going to feed King Louie. And I was like, oh, my. And we were watching at the very end. There's that lovable character, goofy, naive, kind of annoying, Baloo. And here is Mowgli is being attacked by the tiger, and Baloo shows up, and Baloo faces the tiger. And it's interesting. I never thought Disney would do this. And most of us probably missed it. You're going to have to go back and check it. And then they all believe that, that the bear dies, that Baloo dies. And then Bagheera shows up after the fact, the Black Panther. And there's Mowgli crying over Baloo. Bagheera shows up and says, we got to go. But before they left, Bagheera quotes a scripture verse from John 15. He says, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. I was watching it, 
And only Old Yeller makes me cry. No other Disney movies make me cry. And all of a sudden, I thought about this. And then I was thinking, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. God doesn't care where you're at, where you're coming from, but he's calling you home this morning. This message is for you.